0: Here we are with Knowing God with Heart and Mind again. It is our regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church, where I have the privilege of being the pastor. I'm Pastor Dan, and I'm joined by my daughter, Bethany. And we are continuing our study of the classic work by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. We are in episode 12, episode 12, and it is being recorded on May 24th. 2019. Episode 12 begins a turning point because now we're in book three. We just left book two behind and we're in book three. Book three, chapter one, is entitled The Three Parts of Morality. So Bethany, the uh, basic premise of book three is to get down to the brass tacks of what morality is and why Christian morality in particular is so significant. And uh, I think one of the things that everybody has to acknowledge is that when we hear about morality or people talking about morals, we almost always think of it in terms of, you know, somebody trying to rain on our parade or yuck our yum or stop us from having a good time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so morality sounds like a dirty word, especially in a society that is so immoral in so many ways. But we're going to find out that that uh, Jack, that's what his friends like to call him, that's what he wanted to be called, has a different idea on what the morality part is all about. So, Bethany, you know, what do you think is is the his basic premise of morality?
1: Well, before I get to that, I was going to say that the way you were describing it, um, I know that later... On in the book, he has some thoughts that are kind of in opposition to Sigmund Freud. Oh.
0: Yeah, I don't think he's a fan.
1: Yeah, I don't think he is either. But this kind of way of describing it does kind of sound like it in Super Ego. <laughs> in that, like, the it is the one that's like, oh, morality. That stops me from having fun. Because that's what the it's all about, is fun and pleasure. and Right. And, but the Super Ego is the one that's like, hey, you should maybe think before you do things. And and I think Christian morality goes way beyond the superego, but it's just funny the way you're describing it. It's like, well, actually, morality and superego, kind of, they do go together. Like, that's... Because, according to Freud, that's supposed to be your moral compass, and ideally, those... I didn't say ego, but like those three parts are supposed to kind of work together and the id shouldn't be stronger than anything else. But the superego shouldn't be stronger either, which I think is where they would differ a little because I think that in terms of Christian morality, Lewis would say, actually, it should be stronger. Your moral compass should be a lot stronger than your ego or your id. So... Yeah, I just think that's interesting.
0: Yeah, and and I don't uh, I don't discount what you're saying at all, but I am going to bring us back to yes. to the the chapter one of book three, not because it is irrelevant uh, or or that there's no relevancy between what you just said and what chapter one opens with, but where Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis I think would converge is that both agree that it's as much a part of the human condition mm-hmm. as any physicality.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: That, that the, the moral compass or the the, the, uh, the should or ought to, that thing that, that gives us a sense of right and wrong, that that is as much a, a imprinted on our being as any other part of our being. And so starting there, uh, basically, you know, he, he is such a, a organized, uh, presenter mm-hmm. of thought. You know, I, I just love the way Lewis does this. And I have to admit that reading him has changed the way I organize my thoughts <laughs> in writing as well. Um, so he uses a, the fleet of ships as a kind of an analog, analogy.
1: Yeah. That's a thread that goes all the way through the chapter. It's yeah. Very interesting.
0: So... I, you, with that in mind uh how would you explain the two ways that the human sh- machine goes wrong
1: well so like he describes it with the ships by saying like if you have a fleet of ships and one collides with another then they they're they're causing each other problems <clears throat> and on the other hand if a ship is not like ship shape which sounds really funny to say if i'm actually talking about ships <laughs> Um, but if a ship is not in, like, peak condition, is not ready to go out into the world, the ocean, whatever, mm-hmm. um, then it's gonna cause problems, and I think the ironic, well, maybe not ironic, but the interesting thing that he says is, like, they're going to impact each other no matter what. So, like, if your are shit, if you, if you are not right on the inside and where you should be then you're probably going to cause collision with yeah. other people and on the other hand if you get into collisions with other people where there's problems of morality between the two of you that's going to affect your internal stability right so they there's no one like if one happens the other is going to happen so there's just constant crossover
0: yeah I, I follow and, and I think This is where your school counseling background is very relevant. In fact, I was just talking to a preschool director I know yesterday uh, who was telling me about a past experience in a completely different city where a certain five-year-old actually kind of scared her because this five-year-old made threats that sounded really believable.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And... You know, she said, look, I've been dealing with kids that age for decades and only one ever really gave me cold chills. And she just mentioned that because in our course of our conversation, we were talking about how, how, you know, sometimes there's really something wrong inside. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. I've had, I mean, I've told you I had at least one kid that I was really concerned about.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I wanted to help, but I was also really concerned.
0: And it really is terrifying to see it at such a young age. Yeah. But that tells you that that sometimes there are things that aren't quite right. And I should say, by the way, that uh, as you read through C.S. Lewis's works, especially this mere Christianity, he accounts for that. He says, look, if people are sick, if there's something Mm -hmm. wrong with their brain, and I think this comes from his war experience, I, I think he understands Because he's seen traumatic brain injury, he has seen people go to pieces in the trenches and have, you know, what they used to call shell shock, but postpartum Mm -hmm. depression, postpartum.
1: I did it! I know why you did it! I did it! That would be post-traumatic stress disorder. And there's a little bit of an inside family joke that goes with the postpartum depression, so that would be where that came from. So, So thank
0: you for saving me, Bethany, because I was about to edit that out. So I was a chaplain for a certain fire department once upon a time and a very good intentioned guy, but not particularly well-educated guy called me up and asked me to consult with him on how to help a certain member of the department who he felt was suffering with postpartum depression. (laughs) And he was so sincere and he was so, you know, it was so honoring to have him seek my counsel that I couldn't. I couldn't laugh out loud. I had to just keep my tongue and be very respectful and everything. But as soon as I got off the phone with him, I looked at my dear bride and said, Well, apparently a guy went to Afghanistan, saw some nasty stuff, and came home with postpartum depression.
1: Which is not to say that men cannot suffer from postpartum depression <laughs> because it's uh... happened.
0: Jenny, I don't know what you're gonna do with this. (laughs) Yeah,
1: really. But
0: anyway, I wanna Um, thank you guys for being patient with me while we do a little inside joke there. So
1: going back to like the whole idea of people like something being really wrong. Yeah. One of the best and greatest things I ever one of the things that shifted my understanding of mental illness as an undergrad, which I was pretty young and I didn't really have a solid idea anyway, but was when a professor said you have to think of mental illness the same way you think about cancer or a broken bone. Right. Something's broken. Right. And it needs to be treated. Now, the only reason I say that with this is like sometimes something's broken. Yeah. And it,
0: and, and that's really before I went off on that complete, you know, side trip. My, my ship wandered off course (laughs) a little bit there, but, but the whole point was that that as I read his explanation of a ship that isn't in ship shape, Mm -hmm. It's, I think he would take that. And I, well, I know he will take that as I read, you know, cause I've been mm-hmm. through the book before. I, He's going to say at some point, sometimes there are things that are beyond your control and God doesn't, it doesn't make any sense for God to judge that. Right. Because the person that we were designed to be from the beginning is the one that God will judge. Mm-hmm. The person, you know, at the heart of who we are is the one that God will judge. So God's not gonna see the the physical disability, the mental disability. Mm-hmm. God's not gonna see the conditional disability, mm-hmm. you know, where a person is ignorant because they just don't know what they don't know. And yeah. and so I think that's a really brilliant insight on the part of C.S. Lewis. And it's a, it's a much better way to deal with the question that inv- invariably comes up is, if Jesus is the only way of salvation, then what about people who never heard of him or never met him? I would argue that not only um, does God understand that problem, but that God understands that there are people who have heard all about him from people who have been telling it wrong, <laughs> you well, know, and
1: people who have heard about it, who, who have something broken yeah. in their brain.
0: Yeah. But the... I want to, but I, but I'm talking, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. saying God is ultimately wise and ultimately compassionate and Mm -hmm. God understands that some people have been indoctrinated from the beginning of their life Uh with some sort of weird, twisted, erroneous Christianity. Uh And God's going to recognize that too, that that, that there are people who have never heard about Jesus because they've never heard about Jesus, Mm -hmm. but there are even more people who have heard about Jesus, but they've never heard about the real Jesus. They've never heard about the real gospel and the real uh, uh, Messiah, King, Savior, Lord, you know, yeah. and, and God, I believe is going to give them a fair shake too. And, and I don't think God is limited by, by our earthly conditions. So I think that if someone hasn't met the real Jesus in, uh, uh, in this lifetime, that they will at some point get the opportunity to meet the real Jesus and they will make their decision then about Jesus. And it'll be a decision that affects the rest of their eternity. And some, I guess, will reject Jesus. And yeah. some won't. But in the in the end, I just think it's so important to recognize that your morality doesn't define your salvation or your ultimate hope. Um, and I think that even though this isn't what this chapter is about, it's just been a, a, a kind of side trip we took because I really got hung up on the idea of being in ship shape. Mm-hmm. You know, some people just aren't in ship shape. They're not they ready don't... to get out on the ocean and sail alongside their other ships. You know, and some
1: people don't have the means to get into ship shape. Yeah. They don't, you know, they don't have the tools they need.
0: So to bring it back around to the ship analogy, if I, and, and, you know, I'm old enough and I'm, I'm a bit of a history nut and everything, you know, I can picture uh, what he probably has in mind, I can picture a fleet of ships back, you know, almost 100 years ago when sailing ships were still the primary way that you moved militaries around the world. And, and I can see where if you had a fleet of ships that were all moving together in one direction for a specific purpose, that if it was one ship that was being mismanaged... And it was because its internal systems,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, meaning its leadership structure, and, you know, because each ship's maybe got hundreds of people on it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, so, so what he's picturing is, is a fleet of ships that are all moving in the same direction towards a common goal, and there's one that's just going wild. Yeah. And it creates chaos for the whole fleet. hmm in, in addition to its own chaos, and so I think that's a great way to look at the analogy, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know in my mind's eye, I literally can picture footage, you know, film footage from World War II of, of you know, strings of dozens of ships moving mm-hmm. across the Atlantic, yeah. you know, and uh, so, okay, so so then using that same analogy what is the third thing that needs to be taken into account about the human machine? Um, the third way in which human machines go wrong. That is what are, what are some of the overriding reasons? Um, you know, I think in a way we sort of indirectly covered that, didn't we?
1: Yeah. Cause I know he talks about like, <clears throat> like, like needing to have, like a purpose or a reason behind yeah, what you're doing. Um, and sometimes people, sometimes people don't
0: yeah, I get think, the purpose right. I think that there is a certain aspect of, of morality that directs our lives towards purpose. So that morality isn't like an alarm that goes off whenever we're doing something bad.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Morality is also, the force that drives us towards certain things that you know um this is a probably a bad analogy but it it, there's something in us that says you know you've been idle too long today you should do something of consequence right
2: yeah
0: and and i know that a lot of that comes from our family cultures and you know, there's this thing called the Protestant work ethic that was a really big deal back in the uh, beginning of the 19th century, mm-hmm. and and right on through the 19th century. But but the whole point is is that that you know to what degree one should stay productive with every moment of their day we could debate endlessly. But the one thing that seems to be part of our moral wiring is that our lives are meant to be productive that they're meant to be producing something and it means everything from producing healthy children and healthy marriages uh producing a stronger mind and body you know so some things we pursue as a kind of productivity are very personal and they're mm-hmm. very they're very exclusive but there's also this certain aspect of our of our productivity that becomes part of the kingdom of God. It becomes part of what we do to contribute to the kingdom of God. So, so there is a part that I think that's the part of the morality that we're talking about here is it's what drives us toward certain things?
1: Yeah. And he uses the ship example and he also uses a music example. which just kind of funny. Um, and kind of goes back to the music thread he had earlier in the book, but he says like, you know, it's all well and good. If the fleet arrives in peak condition, and all the ships are great and haven't run into each other, but if they arrive in like, Calcutta and they were supposed to go to New York, mm-hmm. that maybe is bad. Uh, yeah, Or that, he that's says, a particular analogy. <laughs> yeah. Um, or he says, like, if a band is, like, he gives the example of, like, a band needing to have every individual play their instrument to the best of their ability, but also all the instruments need to be in tune and all of this stuff to make it perfect, but if a band is engaged to like do music for a dance and they play like death marches, mm-hmm. again, yeah. not great. So yeah. knowing what your purpose is is important.
0: So, so basically, chapter one of book three comes down to these three principal points. Then morality is about fair play between individuals,
1: which I said is kind of like group dynamics,
0: right? And then tidying up or harmonizing things within each individual. So
1: individual growth. Yeah.
0: And then the general purpose of individuals
1: and as a whole. Which I said in my margins, I wrote human experience slash creator-created relationship. So you've got group, individual, and then individual and God.
0: So if his fundamental analysis of... Morality comes down to those three points. Then, which one do pretty much all humans agree?
1: I think we're great at the group dynamics one, and I was a little not ashamed, but a little like, aka fair play. Yeah, sorry, it's okay. <laughs> I, when I was reading that part where he was talking about that, I was like, mm. and it kind of was informing my counseling practice because I was thinking about how, like so group dynamic would be the one where we're like, everybody should be kind to each other and try, like make do good things for each other, do good deeds, help each other out. And I was thinking, Oh, like I do, I do my, um, like I do kindness weeks at school where it's all about doing things for others and which is all great, but it kind of made me think about my counseling practice and like, how can I focus in on helping individuals grow Mm -hmm. and think about, how they're treat, treating themselves and what, how they're processing things like, and, and I think that it's great to have kids mm-hmm. do good deeds for each other and understand why it's important to be kind. But I also was thinking like was what, what Lewis was saying. Oh yeah. Like we spend a lot of time on that and maybe so, not as much focusing on individuals.
0: So Jack wants us to understand that the second part is really important. But this is a concept that's going to be very hard for a lot of modern people to hear because we're in this don't judge me era yeah. where everybody wants to do their own thing and doesn't want to be judged by anyone for what they do. But yeah. what what Lewis would argue is is that modern people um, have a certain responsibility to deal with the dysfunction or the malfunction of others in the society. Mm-hmm for a greater societal good. And so uh, I just read something disturbing in the United Methodist press this morning because someone I really admired is really arguing against this principle. Mm -hmm. And it's basically that um, we have a responsibility to hold each other accountable for certain moral standards because the whole society degrades if we don't. And so if we don't correct the actions of a few people who are really off off course, we risk letting the whole thing get off course.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And so this is a very, very difficult thing to talk about in today's times, because even a United Methodist Church can't agree about whether we should hold people accountable for certain moral standards.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And both parties are convinced that they're in the right. But the fact is, is that I, and obviously I'm revealing myself in this because I'm in, in the camp that says, look, I love people and I have no interest in hurting them in any way outright. But I also require that in order to be a part of the society I'm in, you acknowledge that there are certain things that are not good for the greater human condition in particular from a Christian point of view.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And um, those things are not exclusively about a particular moral moral issue. They're about all moral issues that we all have to hold each other accountable, but it can't be in a spirit that is, is, you know, mean, it can't be mean-spirited and it can't be vindictive. It's, it's about agreeing upon certain rules and agreeing to hold those rules to the best of our ability,
1: regardless. I think he also wants us to look inward first because he says like, it's great to draw up rules for society and how society should behave. But if while you're drawing up those rules, you know that your own like cowardice or greed, right? Like, are going to stop those things right then it doesn't then who cares about the societal rules
0: so yeah everybody has to get their own house in order before they can get their own ship in ship shape before they can really assume responsibility and using that ship analogy again if all the other ships in the fleet are moving in a constant direction at a constant speed towards a common goal and their ships are running efficiently and one is out of line, then the remainder of those ships has every right and responsibility for imposing some kind of direction on the one that's out Mm -hmm. of whack. Yeah. And saying, you know, you present a risk to all of us because of your malfunction. So, yeah, this is a hard thing to hear, but this is also... This is also something that you can speak of in purely academic terms. You can speak of it from a variety of angles. And you're still going to come to the same conclusion that if we want to be individuals and do our own thing, that's all fine and good until it affects other people. And I don't even know if there's enough room in Montana for everybody to live by themselves, far enough apart from their neighbor that they can do whatever the heck they want. We all either... Uh, in the big cities have to live alongside each other, or we live in distant places where we live independently. But sooner or later, we all depend upon each other. At some point, we all have to find a way to get along with other people. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have some sort of common moral code, and I'm speaking in a very broad sense now, not just about certain deviant behaviors. I'm just saying, if we don't have a common moral code, then at, Those moments when we really kind of depend on other people Mm -hmm. or other people need to depend upon us, we better have some sort of standards or it's chaos. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, that's this is tough stuff. Um, So what are some of the reasons that Lewis cites for the third part of the morality trifecta here being so important? So why is the general purpose of individuals so important? So if you're in charge of your own ship Mm -hmm. and you don't avail yourself of God's purposes, right? Yeah. So, so basically he's saying that, that if you accept responsibility for keeping your own ship in order, then you have to find a system to govern it by. You have to find a general purpose for the ship. Yeah. using the fleet analogy, again, some ships are fuel tenders, some are mine sweepers, some are battleships, some are aircraft carriers, some um, serve as um, hospital ships. I mean, there's a variety of, of ships in the fleet and they have a, a sort of mission driven expectation. Mm-hmm. And, and so to bring that back around to, to your own life, a life without purpose is a life that that is in chaos at some point, because if you don't have a sense of purpose in your life, then when you wake up in the morning, you don't have any particular goals in mind or values that inform your activity. And so, you know, some of this stuff is so tiny and and such a, a ingrained in our nature that we don't even know why we do it. But it just feels like boy, I, I really feel like this bathroom has gotten filthy and, and I've got to clean that. And you say, well, why do I do that? Well, because there's something in you that says that at some point an unclean bathroom become, becomes a hazard to your health. Yeah. It becomes a hazard to the well-being of the household. And, and that probably drives you, if nothing else, and because of your sort of informed uh, sense of direction and purpose with life you will eventually make time to deal with these things
2: yeah
0: and if you don't realize the significance of that well I don't know about you but I've traveled a lot and I've driven all over the countryside and in every town and every community you'll find one house that when you drive by you see junk in the yard mm-hmm. you see that the shutters are falling off you see that it hasn't painted been painted in decades mm-hmm. if you have the privilege of going in a house like that and I've been in a few of them you will find that they have junk stacked from wall to wall. There's, it is the most unsafe and unsavory environment you can imagine, but it feels perfectly normal to that person. So you can get to a point where a purposeless life becomes a life that is chaotic and that chaos seems normal. And um, so I, that's the way I interpret the answer to that question mm-hmm. is that, that and, and he would go on to say that a Christian intends to live forever.
1: Yeah, like he... Go ahead. Well, he talks about, like, you know, you talked about the ship thing, and he says, like, if you go back to... He had talked about a little earlier, he talks about a guy who says, like, well, like, if what I'm doing isn't bothering anybody else, then what's the big deal? And he says, so, like, that guy might say, well, if I'm not hurting any of the other ships in the fleet, it doesn't matter what my ship is doing. But Lewis says, like, it kind of depends on who you think is in charge of, like, whether you think your ship is yours. Yeah. Um, and... That's a good point. And he says, like, you know, if, if the, in the ship example, if you have, like, a landlord or a, a property owner or something who owns that, and you're just running it, then you might think a little bit differently about what you're doing. And, um... But on the other, like, he, so he says, like, if we think that we're not in charge of our bodies and minds, then we're going to treat them a little bit differently. Yeah. Than if it's just solely ours. And that's so that when he talks about, like, if I, if I thought I was only going to live to be 70, then I might do things a little bit differently. Yeah. But if I think I'm going to live forever, then I'm going to treat things differently and perhaps better. Yep. Because I'm gonna be around for a long time to be utilizing things.
0: Good stuff. All right. The author of our study guide says here's a thinking cap uh, question. Okay. What are the biblical names for these three parts of morality?
1: Ooh. Ooh.
0: The Apostle Paul is the one who sort of coined the phrase
1: like the fruits of the spirit no because i don't know
0: well yeah yeah the gifts well i was i was thinking more in terms of the gifts and and the love oh, okay. the the corinth the, the corinthian definitional okay faith hope and love oh okay so in, in the bible sense these these three moral Standards. And and when I think standard, literally like an army marches with a standard, Mm -hmm. um, these three elements that they are marked by these three standards could be summed up in faith, hope and love.
1: Yeah, I see that.
0: Hope gives us purpose. Mm -hmm. Love gives us uh, a sort of communal good Mm -hmm. that we seek and faith in God gives us um, that that sort of individual drive Mm -hmm. yeah that's good stuff yeah um i have to admit i would not have made that correlation without the help of our study guide no um but having looked at the study guide i see it and it makes sense so you know what i just noticed that some of my desktop shenanigans here turned your volume down just a little bit so folks If bethany seemed a little quieter (laughs) than usual at times it's all my fault but uh what else do we need to say about this particular one Hmm.
2: um
0: i think that like all the introductory things there's you know we're going to really dive in next time to some basic carnal virtues Cardinal virtues. Car- <laughs> oh no, I can't blame. Freudian slip. Yeah, really carnal. Ooh, <laughs> cardinal virtues, um, perhaps that keep us from engaging our carnal unvirtue. I, you know, I can't dig this one out. Nope. I'm just, I'm just really gonna have to own the fact that I had a slip of tongue there that was completely unexplained, and oh well. You folks who listen, we depend on you to be our friends and to forgive us for our foibles as we go (laughs) along in this journey. And, um, you know, I'm aware that anyone at any time could be listening to this from anywhere, but we know that there are several of you who listen very regularly, and we thank you for that. We are honored, believe me. We're honored by all the listeners. Believe it or not, there are hundreds. They are not all consistent, but they all listen, and they all seem to be stimulated by this conversation, and for that, we're deeply honored. Um, we're not trying to build an audience and, and you know, gain uh, a notoriety here, so I'm not going to say like this and... And uh, I don't know what all the, the, the vlog rate do, you, and you review. Know, rate review, like I, share I'm not, it
1: on your social media. I'm not
0: going to say that. I'm not going <laughs> to ask you to do that. What I am going to say, though, is this, is if this is valuable to you, then let us know. Um, I've inclined I've been inclined to to direct you to the the uh, Facebook uh, page, the Facebook group, rather knowing God with heart and mind. And uh, some of my friends from church have said, well, I, you know, I listen, but I don't want to do all that. Okay, fine. But when you see me, tell me that this is of value to you. When you see Bethany, tell her this is of value to you. And if you're not local and you're not part of our congregation at Shiloh, that's okay. You're part of our family of faith in a broader sense. And we'd still uh, deeply appreciate your encouragement. We'd just like to know that this is serving you in some way and that you don't mind that it isn't as polished as some podcasts or um, any of that. We're really just doing what Christians do at church, but in a virtual classroom. Christians get together and they talk about Christian things. They get together at church and they listen to each other, share what more often than not is an expression of God and some way that God is communicating to us through the voice and mind of another. Mm. And that's the, the whole communion of the saints that's created by the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, church happens on a particular day at a particular location, but it also happens all the time, everywhere, every day no matter where the body of christ is and we think this is an extension of that so mm-hmm. thanks for doing church with us and we appreciate you very much so uh having said all that i want to thank you we'll we'll come back next time to look at book three chapter two and we'll get into those cardinal virtues and some <laughs> of that more interesting uh and challenging stuff because old old, old jack he can be very uh Well, he's just not afraid of the topics. Mm -hmm. He'll take them on, and he'll take them on in a rational, logical way that doesn't seem untoward, as he probably would say. And so uh, we're not afraid of it either then. So we look forward to seeing you next time. Remember, if you're in Jasper, anywhere near southwest Indiana, come see us at Shiloh United Methodist Church. You can learn all about us on the web just by visiting shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot org. And uh, you can also pick up our app in the App Store. It's a pretty neat tool. It's a brand new app. And uh, there's an old one out there that will probably be out of the store really soon. But if you stumble across more than one, make sure it's the brand new push pay driven Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana app. And uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. For now, I just want to thank you again. And God bless you. And goodbye.